Hello, and welcome to the Ontario Animal Health Network podcast for veterinarians. Bees are a really hot topic in the news right now, so we thought we'd share some interesting veterinary information about bees. There's amazing things going on with honeybees right here in Ontario. So we got together with the Animal Health Lab's Dr. Jennifer Zeckel and Dr. Melanie Barham, and we'll be discussing everything from bee physical exams to diseases to the investigation into bee disease in Ontario. Jennifer, I thought we could start off with uh, you giving a little bit of background and uh, some of the misinformation that's going on right now about bees. Most people understand how, how important honeybees are. And, you know, if they don't realize that you know, 70% of all of the produce that we eat is, are, is pollinated by honeybees. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of people out there, well, they can't keep bees. They live in Toronto or they live somewhere that they couldn't keep a hive, but they want to help. Well, there are a lot of different things they can do. Um, bees, for example, need forage. They need to be able to go out and, and find good quality pollen and good, find good quality nectar. Plant a bee garden. We talked about, you know, uh, it was a few years ago we talked about monarchs disappearing and everybody went out and bought milkweed and planted it in their gardens. Well, we could do the same thing for bees. We can, we can plant pollinator gardens, which would be very helpful. Um, bees, when bees are put to pollinate a, um, a field, it's like asking you, for example, to eat turnips this month, and nothing but turnips. And next month, we're going to move you, and you can eat blueberries for a month. And that's not healthy for you, and it's not healthy for bees. They need a wide variety of forage, so people could, you know, help with that. And the other misconception I think people have, and, and I know even my own children do this, which is really sad, they don't understand the differences between wasps and bees, honeybees and hornets and bumblebees and, and what their relative roles are. And I, it would be great if people, you know, take a few minutes to educate yourself. You know, don't swap the honeybee. <laughs> the wasp might be another issue. And, and, of course, you know that a hornet and a wasp, they can both sting repeatedly as opposed to a honeybee that only gets once. Mm-hmm. When they sting, they actually have little barbs and the, the, the stinger stays in your skin. And we'll actually pull out, and the venom gland actually stays there too. Um, and it continues to pump venom in your skin, which is why you have to get it out as, as soon as you can, because their uh, stinger on a honeybee isn't a solid piece. It's actually two pieces. And what happens, if you can imagine um, two bars sliding against each other, those two pieces slide as the, as the venom pumps, and it actually digs itself deeper and deeper into your skin as it's wow. depositing venom. But a honeybee only gets one sting. And then do they die, die. after that? Okay. They die because it's actually connected to um, their digestive system, like oh. into their innards. So, so they really have to pick and choose. Exactly, and that's why they don't tend to be as mean or aggressive as a wasp or a hornet. Um, wasps, actually there's a paper put out last year, I believe that wasps actually can remember faces. So when they sting you... Not only can they remember your face, and then they also deposit pheromones on you. Bees do the same thing, um, that tell other bees and other wasps and whoever else that you're a bad person. They should sting you too. <laughs> so they'll come after you're you. You're a marked individual. You're a marked target once one of them sting you. Absolutely. Um, we had a wasp sting my, uh, he was three last year. And they, not only did they sting him repeatedly because he got too near their nest, but they chased him in the house. And chased me because I was holding him. Um, so they really do they remember, and they're very aggressive. A honeybee generally won't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they breed them, actually. They're honeybee breeders, and they do breed them for gentleness. Oh, okay. Um, Just like our domestic animals, yeah. Exactly, right? We don't have very aggressive cows. Right. Jennifer, why don't you tell us a bit about what you do here at the Animal Health Lab? 
So my name is Jennifer Zeckel and I'm, I guess, the head of the Honeybee uh, Diagnostic Diagnostics here at the AHL. And really, I've been in charge of setting up the, the lab and all the testing that we do. And I coordinate with our clients to get the samples in and uh, make sure that they're, they're done the way the clients need them done. And can you tell us about some bee pathogens and pests? Sure. So that's a huge, huge open area. There are books, they're probably several inches thick, that actually talk about all the different pathogens and pests that affect honeybees. There are probably about 26 to 28 known viruses that affect honeybees and the whole host of bacteria and um, other um, pathogens, including, for example, their uh, amoeba, their trypanosomes. There are lots of different things. Um, and then, of course, all the mites. Here, there are probably about seven main viruses uh, that we look at, and then there are a few others that are maybe rising up to prominence, but we really don't know um, how prevalent they are or how they play into honeybee health. Um, there's, of course, Nozema, which is, most people would consider it a microsporidia. There are two different species uh, in Canada and in the United States. Uh, one, Nozema apis, used to be prevalent, and then a second form, Nozema serenae, came over from Asia, and it's uh, completely taken over. And it's actually fairly rare to find Nozema apis now. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So to go back, so there's seven major pathogens that mm. we know seven of in Ontario. Viruses. Seven viruses. Sorry, seven viruses in right. Ontario that we know about. The, the, that we measure right now okay. and that are considered the most important. Um, but like I said, there are about 26 to 28 known viruses. And a the, lot for such a little organism. They, <laughs> there really are. Um, and on top of that, there really isn't a lot of genetic diagnosis uh, that's been done or genetic uh, assessments. There's very little known, um, there are only a few complete genomes out there for honeybees. Uh, there's not a lot of deep sequencing that's been done, so we don't know the extent of all the viruses. It's probably a lot higher than 26 or 28. Hmm. Although I was really surprised to see how many bee researchers we have in Ontario alone. Not to mention, I guess, like, it seems like we're chock full of really great people in Ontario. In Ontario, we're so lucky. We have um, a, a really great uh, set of bee researchers, and particularly in the Toronto-Guelph area. Um, so who's involved in monitoring the bee industry? Oh, that's a really complex issue. <laughs> bees don't have vets, mm -hmm. right? Bees have um, inspectors, and we, we're very fortunate. Ontario has a wonderful uh, inspector program uh, through OMAFRA, the uh, Ontario Ministry of Agriculture and Food and Rural Affairs, for those who don't know the acronym. Um, they have, I think right now it's 19 inspectors, and they're spread out all over Ontario. And they're the ones, if there's something that happens, you call our provincial apiarist, who's uh, Paul Kozak, and he will arrange to have somebody come out and take a look at what's going on uh, in your colony. So they're no vets, they're inspectors, and mm -hmm. they're they're responsible for overseeing it, and they're very very good and very well experienced. I kind of I kind of thought it was neat that they have uh, the tech transfer program too. So if you're bee, new to beekeeping and stuff, you call the apiary inspector, and they come out and they take a look at your colony, and you mm -hmm. inspect them, and then. You can get hooked up with tech transfer. Is that kind of how it works? Well, tech transfer is a different branch, mm -hmm. um, but they the tech transfer actually works through the OBA, and that's the Ontario Beekeepers Association, um, and they're fairly, in, I'll say, fairly independent, um, but they do a lot of 
they do a lot of research and they do a lot of applied research. So they're the ones um, who will test out, for example, uh, new miticides uh, for Varroa mites. And they do a lot of work uh, with queens. Right now they're, they're doing some queen work. Uh, queen bees are also in trouble, shockingly. Um, they, uh, and they, they run a lot of programs and a lot of educational programs here in Ontario. So if you are a new beekeeper and if you want to take their introductory programs, they offer them in the spring. Um, and they have uh, an introductory course that's a full day. They have an integrated pest management, and then they have an advanced queen rearing program, I believe, as well. So if an inspector <laughs> finds something that is gone, is going wrong with a hive, mm -hmm. do they then take a sample and send it in to you? Not right now. Right okay. now we work mostly on a project basis, um, although we're working both with the Animal Health Lab and with OMAFRA and the inspectors to try to get that changed um, so that people could send them in. Mm -hmm. There are different things can affect hive. So we're dealing mostly with viruses, uh, with some of the bacteria um, and with some of the trypanosomes, for example. So things that you normally couldn't see. An inspector can go out and generally won't be able to tell you uh, right away that you have a particular virus because yeah. you just can't see that unless it's deformed wing virus and it's very high levels and then the bees will literally have right deformed wings and that's mm -hmm. uh you can see that um but there are other things that they can look for uh for example wax moths they can uh, look for uh things like sac brood virus high levels of that will actually affect the brood and it's visible um they can look for american fowl brood uh, which is a horrible horrible bacterial disease and um a small hive beetle is a new um, a fairly new newcomer to Ontario. It's, there's all sorts of things that, that an inspector could take a look at. Um, and then they, you know, they do things like um, uh, brood ratio, brood to adult ratio. They can look at the health of the bees. Um, and I don't profess to be an, an inspector at all because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm more of a lab-based uh, person, but they, they can tell you a lot about the health of your colony when they come out and take a look. And can pathogens and pests be prevented in a hive or is it just something that that comes up and then you deal with it after to a point so again bees are this whole other world you can keep pigs in a barn and you know pigs aren't going to be flying out of the barn and mingling with other pigs and then coming back bees do that and they have about a three kilometer radius from their colony so they can go to a flower that was visited by another bee that lived in a completely different colony and pathogens can actually transfer at that point right on a flower or you can have robber bees that come in to your colony from a completely different colony and they can spread uh, pathogens that way so it's really hard to prevent some of the bigger ones like I said a small hive beetle and that's a biosecurity issue mm -hmm. and they really you know that's that's a matter of keeping your uh, your your equipment clean and making sure you're not importing bees from known from affected areas mm -hmm. um, and for example like uh, there's another mite out there tropolalaps currently it's uh, restricted to Asia um, but you know we're, we're adding that actually to our monitoring strategy because we don't want that mite showing up in Canada it's devastating to colonies so we're really we're keep, taking a proactive approach. we are looking we're, we're taking proactive approaches and learning for the uh, readiness if somebody's noticing a problem with their hive uh, and they want to test bees from their colony, how would they submit them? So the first thing to do would be to call the provincial apiarist mm -hmm. and they would 
uh, work it through with the inspectors, um, we could probably get samples in. And, you know, it's a matter of just giving us a call and talking to us and, and okay. seeing what we can do. Uh, like I said, mostly it's project-based right now, but we're looking to expand that. Um, and right now we do a, a panel, mm -hmm. but we're looking to be able to do more of a pick and choose, like you would do at your vets. You would take your, your cat in and you would have it tested for certain things. We're looking to do that same sort of thing in the lab. So how are you, so with the current project with Omafra, how are you sampling the bees? How are the bees chosen right now? So right now, uh, there is a standard operating procedure or protocol that the inspectors follow when they go out. Um, we get a very uh, standardized set of bees that come in, and we pick only nurse bees. Most people who are interested in bees, they know that there are lots of different bees, right? Your forages, you have nurse bees, and you have your queen, and you have your drones. And all of those have different levels of some of these pathogens. Foragers, because they're older, and they go actually out of the hive, right? And they go to the flowers, and they're, and they're collecting the pollen. They tend to have higher levels of a lot of these pathogens, but it might not necessarily be relevant to the health of the hive. So we actually cho choose the nurse bees, the ones who are actually in the colony at all times. And by, by trying to pick a, a very standard population, you get more I'll say even results, and we're comparable from colony to colony. Comparing apples to apples. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I, when I do tours at the lab, I like to bring people by your lab because it's kind of a cool part of the lab. And I always like, I always like how you explain uh, how you process the bees and how you. It's, it's kind of a different thing, because you know, in no other species do we get, you know, like a. A, a, you know, you don't get a whole animal unless it's coming into postmortem. So you're kind right. of doing like the whole, and they come in live, right? Most of the time they come in live. Um, if we're getting them from far away, we actually ask that they come in frozen on dry ice. Okay. So a lot of the viruses, so our, our RNA, right? So you have RNA and you have DNA. And DNA, that's what's in your, in your cells that, that makes you who you are. That's your genome. And it's very stable. But most of the viruses are RNA viruses, and they're not stable. So we have to have them frozen solid, solid, solid. Like uh, well, dry ice is about minus 78 to minus 80 degrees Celsius. And that's, that's the temperature you want them kept at to keep the RNA stable. So we can mm -hmm. actually measure those. And because of the difficulty in shipping that, we really live is better, mm -hmm. provided that they're not overly stressed or hot or sticky or any of those. It makes it very difficult to process a bee when they're, they're in mad. syrup <laughs> well, <laughs> when they're mad but moreover when they're when they're sticky and, oh, and wet okay. it makes it really hard because most people out there will know that varroa mites the, the name is actually varroa destructor which i absolutely love the name of because it, it really is descriptive and they destroy hives and they're they're tiny little mites they came to canada and ontario probably about the mid 80s and there was huge losses associated with them. And you can think of Varroa as d dirty little syringes because they carry a lot of these viruses and they feed on the bees. And when it's just like a mosquito, right? They suck on bee blood or hemolymph. And when they're doing that, they transmit the viruses okay. to the bees. And they can pick up viruses from the bees and then go over to another bee and right, give it new viruses. Yeah. So um, because the, the mites actually carry the viruses, if you want to know how much virus is in a bee, you have to make sure there are no, vi there are no varroa or no mites on them. Oh, because they could the elevator. Exactly. Oh, wow. So every bee that we test actually gets a little physical. We, That's we, what I think is the <laughs> greatest part. <laughs> we actually, yeah, we, we, every bee is in, in our hands, and we, under a, a magnifying glass with, uh, with you know, strong lights, we actually check every single bee to make sure there are no mites uh, before we 
process them, and we do process them whole because we're measuring all those different mm -hmm. viruses, and they're found in different parts of the bee. Okay. And bees right. are pretty small. Well, bees are pretty small. It's hard to dissect it. Yeah. You know, the salivary glands, for example. Although researchers out there do it, and wow. more power to them, but it's easier for us as a diagnostic lab to process the whole bee mm -hmm. and to extract all that RNA and DNA and go from there. Do you know, or can you speak on like the treatment for a hive? If you find you have one of these things, are there common things that, that people can do to kind of restore the health? Uh, uh, so there is the Bee Manager app, um, which the OBA uh, and Tech Transfer and everybody they work together to kind of get that that app out. And I don't know, if maybe we can put a link a to the app up on our social website. Um, and it, it does help. Apparently, there are some suggestions on it. Um, and again, I don't profess to be you know, an inspector. Keep the mite levels down. And that's probably one of the most important things that, um, the, that any beekeeper can do. Um, there's, they call it a varroa wash. And it's very simple for any beekeeper to do. You just take two jars, two clear jars, and you put a mesh um, on, on top of one and you put some alcohol in it. Rubbing alcohol apparently works very well. And you scoop up some bees, 250 to 300 bees, and you dump it over so that the alcohol sits in the bees and then you dump them back so only the varroa will go through the, go through the mesh. And you can actually count your varroa load oh. in your colony and you know whether you, whether or not you need to treat. Simple diagnostic at-home test. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And every time an inspector goes out, that's one of the things that they will do. They will, okay. they will check your varroa levels. Um, high varroa levels means more viruses. And there is a point at which, you know, the, your, your colony will crash if you have uh, a lot of varroa because your bees are going to be very unhealthy. Um, so that's one of the ways. Uh, one of the bacterial species I mentioned, the spiroplasmas, um, there are actually antibiotic treatments for that. So we're very excited that we're going to be doing a diagnostic test where we could, might actually be able to provide some feedback that you might need to treat your colony. Um, there, like I said, there are two of them, and spiroplasma apis used to be known actually as May disease. Uh, it spikes in May in, in the early season, and it can you can lose your colony to it. So it, these are things that hopefully we'll be able to develop some treatments for. So if you if they think there's a problem, they should just really call their apiary inspector and they can direct yeah. them to all the answers. Yeah, and the inspectors, I said, are wonderful, and um, Tech Transfer has a lot of information up on their website too. Um, and if if they're if they suspect anything else, if they suspect small hive beetle or anything else, they can either call the provincial apiarist or their inspector and get it taken care of. Cool. Hmm. Right. And when looking at the lab data and everything we've discussed today, what does all of this mean for the future of honeybees and honeybee health in general? What does what do the results mean? That's you know that's a really good question actually, and I think it does sort of speak to the complexity that is involved in this because. As I mentioned, when I take a bee to test, I have to kill the bee. Mm -hmm. And I can't let it go and test it or treat it and test it again or, or change a condition and test it again. And bees are a super population or super colony, right? There's all these in there, super organism, that's the right word. All these individuals within a colony, and some may be infected. And some might not. And there are different levels and there are different casts, right? So we have our foragers and we have our nurse bees and, and we have brood. And so the viral levels can change, but then they also change from month to month. 
because the varroa population is changing and because your colony builds up from the spring and then it gets ready to winter. So th there's all these moving parts um, with bee testing and so it's really, really hard to tease out all the individual contributors to the bee health. So you have all these viruses, all these pests, all these pathogens, um, different casts, viral levels that normally change between May and September. We have no established thresholds with the exception of uh, Nozema. Um, we have different parts of Ontario. They are different forage. They're exposed to different path, uh, pesticides and, and other uh, things in the environment. And then there are also the practice managements. Some people might use this particular miticide, some people might use a different miticide, some people might treat with this, some people might feed them at this time of the year, not other times of the year. And how do you tease out exactly what's affecting honeybees with all these moving parts? Well, thanks so much for joining us and taking the time to speak to us today. Thank you. And if anybody has any questions, uh, they can always get a hold of the Animal Health Lab and uh, we'd be happy to talk to them. And if anybody's interested in, in getting testing done, again, you know, you can talk to your inspector, talk to the provincial apiarist, or you can contact us. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.